Hello and welcome to the Alatia Foundation podcast. My name is Nawid Jabarkil. Today we're joined by Alan Bifani. In 2000, Alan was appointed Director General of the Ministry of Finance, the youngest person to be appointed to the position in Lebanon. He's notable for successfully implementing change in a complex multicultural environment where it's said obedience to clans supersedes allegiance to institutions. Throughout his career, Bifani was able to implement major reforms despite strong resistance from the establishment. He's proven successful in managing national finances during major crises and the absence of a government budget for, believe it or not, more than 12 years. Transparency was at the heart of Bifani's work. He introduced electronic taxation, taxpayer services and a code of ethics. He was known for having reconstructed 27 years of financial accounts for the government, thus leading the way towards accountability. He holds a B.Eng. in optics and telecommunications from the Institut de Optique Graduate School in France and a higher degree in management and finance from the HEC Paris Business School. Alain, a very warm welcome to the Alatia Foundation podcast. Thank you so much, David. It's a pleasure to be with you. Great. Let's start then with the big global story, uh, the general state of the world economy, current events in Ukraine and the impact that's had on Russia and uh, the disruption of supply chains and the demand destruction for fossil fuels we're seeing as well. Is it going to lead to a worldwide recession? Well, today uh, we have three major headlines. Uh, We have Ukraine and its consequences, inflation and the consequences of COVID, including on the Chinese economy and on public debt worldwide. As we're witnessing the end of a globalization cycle, uh, and uh, we're going through major disruption in trade and supply chains, as you say. Uh, Global demand is hit by China's response to COVID, namely in Shanghai, as you know. At the same time, the Fed admits that inflation went too high with the hardship it is causing. And Jay Powell promised yesterday that they would be moving expeditiously to bring it to, um, if you want, uh, to bring it back down. The how remains to be seen, especially that inflation does not usually just just fade away, especially in those large economies. So to rein it in, the labor market will probably suffer, and it may well be that keeping inflation under control will need nothing less than a recession in the world's top economy. At the same time, food pressure on various areas in the world and um, rising commodities prices may last. Um, Given the course of events, of course, uh, on the Ukrainian ground. And energy and wheat prices, to mention those only, uh, will inflict significant hardship on economies that are already feeling the burden of a record high debt. Um, And interest rates are rising in all developed economies with an immediate impact on real estate and consumption. And in such a context, globally coordinated answers ought to be found and implemented swiftly. But uh, precisely, global coordination is what is going wrong today with various blocks emerging along the fracture lines of Ukraine, which basically are going way beyond the West and East lines, with a surprising positioning of many countries in between, among which Gulf countries and major fossil fuel uh, market players. 
On fossil fuel, um, I personally believe it still has good days ahead. Also, one should keep in mind that clean energy um, targets that have been announced by major players are often undermined by polluting assets being sold to less climate-friendly private operators. For now, when a company sells its unclean assets, it only means cleaning its own portfolio, not making the world a cleaner place. And the buyers tend to be less transparent and tend to provide fewer data. So in few words, and way before Ukraine, we entered an era of uh, very high volatility with major transitions to be conducted, including the green one and the digital one. But instead of having a conducive global environment to manage the shocks and the consequences, this is precisely when international cooperation went in limbo. And you mentioned coordination being really important. If you focus on the Middle East, you obviously see uh, lots of countries with different um, uh, with different responses to what's happening. You touched on Gulf countries. They mimicked the interest rate that we saw in the US uh, uh, last week. But there are lots of other countries, the likes of Lebanon, for example, where uh, the, their problems appear to be bigger. Do you think there's enough fiscal uh, room at the moment for, for countries to be reacting to any sort of recession? Well, that's precisely what's missing. Now, we have to, uh, in the Middle East, make uh, the difference between uh, oil-producing countries and uh, oil, uh, um, I mean, uh, consuming countries. For the first ones, uh, there is obviously a surplus of liquidity that has uh, appeared recently uh, because of the oil and commodity prices uh, going up. Now, in the other countries, we have the problem of higher energy costs and we have the problem of accessing food markets. In a country like Lebanon, but also in a country like Egypt, we have uh, an issue of wheat supply and uh, you know other uh, basic commodities supply. And here, of course, uh, coordination would have been fantastic, but it is not a region that is known for this and it is not a region that is known for uh, um, proper integration. This is obviously one thing that is created, uh, that is creating, sorry, turmoil and instability for a long time. And uh, to pick up on the issue of turmoil, we're seeing lots of countries uh, in the West, in the East, uh, North and South, starting to ramp up their defence budgets, a sort of global arms race, you could call it, uh, emerging. Do you think that's good from an economic perspective? I mean, it's going to be money going into uh, certain key industries, or are you worried about that sort of development? Well, one famous arm race led to the disorderly fall of the Soviet Union with today's consequences three decades later. The proper solution uh, to a crisis like this one is not to use an evil against another one. Take Europe, for instance, with Germany precisely turning the page of anti-militarism, announcing $100 billion investment in arms. Well, is it a good thing in itself for the Germans first? I'm not sure. The billions could have supported the swift energy transition instead and many other things. What Europe really needs, as a matter of fact, is a common defense system to be put in place, not a disorderly race towards arms. What is good to avoid uh, recession is to boost public and private investment in general. 
and it does not need to be in weaponries. Over the long term, it makes a lot of difference to see one line of stocks appreciate instead of another. At the end, our future is what we invest in. And finally, arms races tend to channel funds away from development and may inflict significant harm on those fragile countries that do not produce sophisticated weapons. So if we want to think globally and not be looking at specific stocks rising on the stock markets, uh, this is not the kind of uh, solution that we want to find. We want to find solutions that are good for global development, that are good for integration, and that can deal with the disruptions that we are witnessing today. Right, and let's talk about Lebanon then, please, because I know it's a, a hugely important country in the Middle East and for uh, one of interest for a lot of our listeners. A very troubled one, though, at the moment, economically and politically. Just tell us a bit from your experience how difficult it was to try and implement change, financial changes in Lebanon, when everything seems to be swayed by parochial interests. Well, terribly difficult, of course, but I would say that the most difficult part in Lebanon uh, is not only to implement change, it is actually to make change um, irreversible, if I may say. Uh, for instance, I would prepare my files and projects and wait for windows of opportunities uh, to be able to push them. For instance, we implemented VAT when financial catastrophe was looming. Otherwise, the government would have never accepted that. And my own government, uh, I needed to wait for it to be unable to oppose what we wanted to push in terms of reforms, because at the end, we're only civil servants, and the political level has to follow. So, same for plenty of projects, including the public debt management, uh, the financial accounts, tax amendments towards fairness. But in an environment where institutions are built on sand, everything can be um, brought down very quickly. So making it is very important, but making it irreversible is critical. But that is not feasible at the level of a civil servant only, of course. Of course, yeah, and uh, policymakers, uh, a crucial role they're playing. Let's just put it into perspective then for, for, for our listeners. GDP plunging to around $20 billion last year. That's down almost two-thirds since 2018, a rapid decline. If you look at the Lebanese pound, the currency losing more than 90% of its value. I mean, whatever way you look at this, is quite simply one of the worst economic collapses in hundreds of years. Where next for Lebanon, do you think? Uh, it is not only very harsh, it's also very quick, and the Lebanese do not have enough time to adapt to the situation. And that is really where most of the harm is coming from. The correction is enormous. This 20 billion that you're referring to is down from 55 billion a couple of years ago, or slightly more. And uh, obviously, Lebanon needs to come up with a rescue plan immediately. And, uh, and, uh, of course, they, I mean, the present elite did not accept the rescue plan that I presented with my team. And, uh, and I think that uh, we cannot have the country continue without any solutions being proposed. That's, uh, that's uh, you know, the least that a government can do.
And let's talk solutions then. You've said one of your greatest wishes is to improve the lives of all those living in Lebanon. For, for observers outside, it seems that the elite is rather untouched in the terms of how they're living, but the mass uh, below that's uh, really impacted. What would you do in particular to try and improve lives at the moment, if you could do just one thing? Well, pretty much what I did, which is basically to uh, present a rescue plan for Lebanon that is comprehensive, that is uh, that would allow the country to make it back uh, on, on, on track. Uh, the one that we prepared was comprehensive in the sense that it was about restructuring the central bank, the banking sector, the debt. It was about um, uh, the growth agenda, uh, the social safety nets, and the, the uh, long-awaited reforms that Lebanon needed, and of course the stabilization of the currency. Uh, I prepared this plan with my team and uh, and backed by Bank Lazar, which was the financial advisor of the Republic. But this should have been the responsibility of ministers and uh, people above. Uh, but once again, uh, I had to take responsibility because no one was taking it, and I was happy to do that. Just like when I prepared the economic and financial response uh, plan to the Syrian crisis in the past. Now, by doing so, uh, I uh, was, if you want, uh, putting myself under the heavy and very dirty fire of the big guys in Lebanon. Dirty because they used everything to derail the plan. Lies, calumnies, threats, uh, disinformation, you name it. I was personally accused of being either a communist or a Hezbollahi or a CIA agent or a corrupt person or an incompetent one, etc. All of a sudden, simply because I presented a plan. And for a civil servant, uh, I was not allowed to speak. Yet, I continued the fight until we realized that the plan that we presented would not be implemented. Although the government of Lebanon unanimously accepted it, the whole international community hailed it, and the IMF stated many times publicly that our plan was the solid and good base for negotiations. Now, of course, if the government any government does not come up with something that is, um, I would say, um, comprehensive, there, there is no way to get Lebanon out of the crisis. So this is the first thing to be done immediately. You know, regain credibility internally, start implementing the uh, needed reforms and implement the social safety nets for the population and gain credibility internationally with the major uh, operators uh, willing to come back to Lebanon and provide uh, the, uh, the support that is required to get out of the crisis. And just to pick up on that, because I know we have quite a bit to, to, to get through briefly, the uh, IMF uh, offering another potential lifeline last month with the uh, preliminary agreement for uh, an extended fund facility for another four years. Uh, do you think that message is going to get through to the sorts of people who are running the country, the sorts of dirty politics, as you put it, um, uh, in power at the moment? Uh, do you think that this is uh, really a last chance to try and stop the sort of poverty rates? 80% the UN says now at risk of poverty. Now, it's, uh, it's uh, something that needs to be read very carefully. The IMF statement is basically saying a lot of things at the same time. First, there will be no engagement if a list of uh, prerequisites is not implemented. And surprisingly, or not surprisingly, those are precisely the same prerequisites 
that we had in our own plan two years ago, even more than two years ago. And until now, nothing has been implemented. Number two, the IMF is saying basically it's up to Lebanon to convince the international community, and this is only when we would intervene again, which is, which means don't rely on us to convince the others of things that we are not convinced ourselves. Number three, they're saying that they will engage with an amount that is slightly lower than what Lebanon is allowed to get under very normal circumstances. So this engagement is not a big one. And all of this shows very clearly how reluctant, I would say, the IMF team is in engaging uh, as long as significant change is not taking place and as long as the Lebanese government and parliament are not serious about the implementation of reforms and about transparency. And I saw a recent quote of yours saying, uh, quote, I cannot see myself leaving the ship in the middle of a storm. But you did resign as Director General of the Ministry of Finance. Can you tell us why was it because of the issues and the rejection of the IMF restructuring plans? Yes, I mean, as I told you, where we're in the middle of the storm, I was the one who presented the plan. And basically, once again, I continued fighting until I was totally sure that the plan and the IMF process would not go through. Uh, as I told you, everybody abroad was supporting our plan, including the IMF. But the plan was about having those who benefited most from the system contribute most. And of course, many of our big guys did not want to hear about that and did want to contribute a single penny. So they succeeded in torpedoing the plan and the IMF process by all sorts of dirty means. And they started a policy of no plan. And that was about shifting the burden to the sharehold, uh, to the shoulders of the population uh, through currency depreciation and deposit haircuts. At this point in time, the government did not dare implement one single measure from the plan it had adopted unanimously. And I made it clear that I would continue the fight for the rescue plan, but I would never accept to implement the alternative no plan, which was criminal, and it is still criminal, and we are seeing now the results of that. So, yes, fighting until the end is one thing, but when it becomes clear that you're going the wrong way, uh, and that uh, you are presenting a solution that uh, the system doesn't want, it becomes a duty to resign. At that time, I gave a press conference to explain what uh, this elite was intending to do, and I regret to say that it was unfortunately very accurate. Uh, you can check it out, it's, uh, it's on the media. And uh, just in terms of the, your role at the Ministry of Finance uh, as, the, the, as the DG, uh, a lot of our listeners, obviously, uh, in the oil and gas field, I'm just trying to get a sense of how you portray Lebanon at the moment as an investment opportunity, because foreign investment is so essentially crucial. It's a fuel-importing impo country, relies a lot on imports for energy, or even remittances, for example, for, from the Lebanese community abroad, uh, the diaspora. Just uh, give a sense of, of what's on offer now for, for businesses eyeing Lebanon. Well, the business in Lebanon now is uh, very much uh, disrupted because of the situation of the banking sector. 
basically, uh, when you go through a crisis of such a huge magnitude, your main issue is to um, be, I mean, to make sure that you are boosting your productive sectors and that you are achieving as high as exports as possible. Uh, given the multi-currency system that is imposed on the Lebanese to basically justify the haircut that is being made uh, on deposits, it is becoming extremely difficult for uh, companies in Lebanon to work normally. I mean, how could they work normally if they don't know at which exchange rate they're going uh, to um, pursue their operations? So that's one major thing, you know, um, the exchange rate and uh, the channeling of funds through the banking system, which is, in fact, now only operating on the basis of what they call fresh money, i.e. money coming from the gold. Apart from that, the dollars are, um, in fact, uh, kept with the banks, which, uh, which reflects very much the huge losses that uh, the system uh, uh, has uh, has built. And perhaps maybe a, a lighter note to, to finish off on, because it's been fascinating, the stuff we've been talking about, but let's just talk about your career then. Um, you d did train as an engineer in optics, but decided to move to one in economics. Looking back, are you glad you changed now? Well, um, I actually wouldn't say that I changed. I would say that um, um, every field is amazing. I would not say that I changed, but rather that I complemented. It's all about perspective, and bringing an engineer perspective into economics is interesting. Good theories at the end can apply way beyond their field. And despite the need for specialization, openness remains a major asset. Uh, if you're interested in what I'm saying here, read my book, The Structuring. It's about applying uh, things outside their fields and opening up perspective. And I guess there will be lots of people who look on at, at what's happening, not just in Lebanon, but other countries, and, and, and wonder whether a bit of a fresh perspective or, or, or technocracy might actually be, be a good thing. But we're going to have to, to leave it there, Alan. Uh, just behalf, on behalf of the Alatia Foundation and our listeners, thank you very much for, for providing us with your expert analysis. The Foundation, really looking forward to speaking with you again in the future. Thank you very much, David. It was a real pleasure and I look forward to that. Thanks. And thank you as well for listening. Be sure to keep up to date with all of the Alatia Foundation's work by following us on Twitter and on YouTube. Thanks for listening and until next time, goodbye.